good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. My name is Michael Zalavari, and today we are completing the trio of class breakdown podcasts with LMP2. Uh, this was meant to be done, uh, uploaded before the GTM one, but we've done it out of order, see what? Um, joining me today, I've got Chris Washer again. Chris, thank you for waking up very early on this morning to do this. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the biggest race of the year. Always happy to provide some uh, insight to some of these uh, other AMs that people might not know about. Uh. LMP2, Chris, L- the LMP2 class, it's been one of the one of the key parts of Le Mans for the past six or seven seasons, um, and it's a, a pretty, pretty fun class. To start with, Chris, for those who might not have ever seen a WEC race, what is an LMP2 car? What is LMP2? Right, so the gist of it is LMP2 is basically the second tier of prototype racing. Uh, although in the past, with the limited amount of top prototype seats, uh, we've pretty much seen it jump up where there's like a huge amount of pros in the class. So don't think of it like as, as like F2. Kind of think of it as, this is going to be so American, I'm sorry, Flood. Think of it as NASCAR Xfinity where some pros are still allowed to race. Um, it's not purely meant, well, it's meant to be a developmental class, but that's not what it it, it is at, at, at some points, because we still have a lot of these super lineups that still come in, like Joda, for yeah. example. And, but with the influx of, uh, with the introduction of you know, the top prototype class, I mean, really, we have 16, 17 in Hypercar alone this year. 16 uh, Hypercars, L- yeah. Yeah, so L- LMP2 is going to go back, it looks like, to a more developmental role which which is good uh and also you may notice that there's only one car or only one type of car on the grid and the reason is back in 2017 there was new regs that got introduced uh it was four chassis manufacturers all with gibson engines that were allowed from by the aco to make cars they were delara uh, i believe riley multimatic um Ligier? Uh, uh, and Oreca. But so, what happened, Chris? What happened? Yeah, so basically, the Riley was crap right out the gate. Uh, the Delara was the next one to go. It took a couple of years for that to phase out. The Ligier held out the longest, I believe. Was it one or two Le Mans ago where we had the Ligier on the grid? We did have the um, Ligier on the grid, uh, yes, it, in 2021. Yeah. And that would have been, I think, the ARC Bratislava Ligier? I can actually check. Yeah, that. yeah, I believe that that was the case. But basically, the Le- the Delara was fine. It, it, I believe its first year or two, it, it did win. I believe SMP Racing won at Paul Ricard in an ELMS race with that chassis. And of course, we know uh, the Cadillac DPI was so successful with that. Um, and then you had the Ligier, which it did held out the longest of the competition. Because United Autosports originally had that chassis, if you remember, and did pretty well with it from what I remember. But then it just became apparent that Oreca was simply the better car. Um, And not only the better car flood, just way better customer support as well in terms of uh, parts replacement and stuff and and the like. So everybody just naturally gravitated towards Oreca because it was easier to deal with and uh, the more competitive car. So that's why we only see one type of car on the grid. Although, knock on wood, um, it might get delayed again. Who knows? Tw- I believe 2025 is their new goal for new LMP2 regs. Um, and 
as of right now, they are toying with something called uh, AOP, which an, a, another acronym in sports <laughs> car racing. Because there's not um, enough three-letter acronyms yeah, in sports car racing already. Uh, which I believe stands for Assessment of Performance. For ba- the gist of it is, I think they like basically every six months they assess the performance of each of the LMP2 manufacturers and make corrections if needed, which from the outside, that, that kind of makes sense because you have six months worth of data to collect on. So you have more yeah. of a broader point uh, to look at. So that's the plan right now. Uh, basically, Eureka's all we have right now. There's plans in the future in the new regs to make sure that we keep uh, different chassis manufacturers in the mix. But uh, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have to wait and see. I know this Friday is the Lamar Hole press conference. Yeah. That uh, who knows? It might get delayed again. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But that that's the story right now. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a nuanced thing, and it kind of snowballed. Um, really, we didn't really understand where everyone sort of stood with the new LMP2 regs in 2017 mm. when they were first introduced. Um, it looked like the Oracle was going to be the, the the better chassis, but the Ligier and the Delara took race wins early. It was only when we got to Le Mans and Delara had that terrible uh, porpoising right. problem uh, where they really started to to fall off. Um, and become less desirable. Uh, and then when when United Autosports uh, moved from Ligier to Oricas, that was kind of the death knell for, for anyone else because they were the only team that were really competitive in the Ligier. And once they moved over to Orica and won immediately, that they won the next race. It was like, okay, well, if you want to win in this class, you need an Orica. And then that's kind of how we've gotten to the point where we are now. So the Orica 07, which is the, the lifeblood of the class at the moment, is a 930-kilogram, uh, 600 horsepower little beast um it's quite a high performance car um it used to be able to do uh three minute 24 laps of lamar which is ludicrous it's absolutely ludicrous um they were they were as fast as the current hypercars are now um but with the introduction of hypercar they got uh squeezed back a little bit so these cars you'll see lapping around lamar in about 300 uh, three minutes and 28 seconds which is still a fair rate of knots um and it's it wouldn't be un- unfair or untrue to say chris that the orica 07 is one of the best prototype cars ever built like from a drivability drivability perspective, from a pace perspective, from a reliability perspective, these things with the Gibson engine in it are bulletproof, and they're, and they're like everyone can be quicker than an Orica O seven. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's for every every single reason. Just just said, said plan. It's just an all around better package, especially since if the class was meant for AMs and then the AMs drive in and they find the Orica easier to drive guess which one they're going to go for. It's, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Um, and like you said, the times did slow down. They did have to pick back LMP2, and I know people are mad about that, but uh, it kind of became too fast for its own good because it was supposed to be, uh, at least on arrangement, a developmental class. It wasn't <laughs> supposed to be this whole pro shootout that we've seen in the past couple of years. Don't, don't get me wrong. It was fantastic. I mean... Um, if I, if I remember correctly, last year, LMP2 was pretty much the glue that was holding any form of interest for Lamont uh, last year. Yeah, pretty much. I, like, Hypercar, I know people, you know, the, the BOP, people have, you know, discussions on that. GT, GTE, but BOP wasn't the best either. So LMP2, like, 
I remember for like half the first half of the race, like literally every like other second was an LMP2 battle, and that was absolutely fantastic. And another point I want I do want to make out is I know there's also complaints that well it's a spec series why should I care the racing it's so good and the stars in these cars that we'll get to later are just another piece of the puzzle that makes this category so fun to watch. Absolutely. Of of all of the categories, of all the classes in the WEC, LMP2 has been consistently the most fun to watch for the past five or six years. Like, I, I will still say to this very day that the European Le Mans series is the best category of motorsport that exists because LMP2 is the top class and there are so many of them uh, that race in it. But we've got a, a privilege here, Chris, of having 24 LMP2 cars on the grid. Now, before we jump in and uh, start talking about the drivers and the teams and, you know, what we think might happen, just quickly, who is LMP2 for? If you were trying to sell LMP2 as a product to a driver, who would you be trying to sell it for? If you are a, a, a uh, an amateur that wants something other than a GT3, uh, if you want something a little bit more faster... This would be because we do have the LMP2 Pro Am category now. Um, that would all that would be something that might pique your interest. And also, if you're an up and coming driver, even even if you maybe not had a lot of luck in feeder series or single seaters, like this could be another uh, potential option for you as well. I mean, let me just take a look at a random name here in the LMP2 class. I'll give you one, like, Charles Malesi. Talk about him. Yep. Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, he was in Formula 3. Maybe he didn't have, from what I remember, he wasn't one of the top guys that people usually talk about when, you know, because every year in F3, F2, they have, people have names on, oh, this this has F1 potential. From I remember, Malaysia wasn't in that conversation, but now that he's in an LP2, it it really shown that he is more than his junior series results. And also, if you don't have a uh, hypercar drive, I mean, look at Robin, like Robin Fryan, um, Tom Blomquist. Well, well, he has a hyper, or he has a drive in IMSA mm. in the top class. But yeah, but Pietro Fittipaldi and Oliver Rasmussen. Well, Oliver Rasmussen, I believe, races in the in the next. But Neil Neil Johnny, who was in LMP2 this year, who didn't find a. Uh, a hypercar seat, uh, I believe, because Porsche uh, dropped him. Uh, it, it's just so. It, it's filled with just people who can race anywhere, and they choose to race in this yeah. series. Yeah, there's so many good talent in there, and, and LMP2 also because every in I guess an, a plus of having everything so spec, it allows drivers to shine more because everyone's in equal machinery. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen some former F1 drivers jump across and put some really, really good performances in to remind everyone that, yes, they are still as good as they were when they were racing in F1. But on the other hand, as you said, we've got guys that have come through from feeder series who haven't got an opportunity in the competitive seating of F2 and F3. And they've come over here and they've made an impression and they've been picked up by hypercar teams. Like, you know, we, we talked in the hypercar podcast of guys, uh, the the likes of, you know, Mikkel Jensen and... Uh, uh, and Paul DeResta, who are now racing for the Peugeot factory program, 
off the results of their drives in LMP2 and showing that they are still as fast as they were, well, in Duresta's case, when he was in F1, for Mikkel Jensen's case, as fast as he was through the, out the entire uh, WEC ladder. So it's really a class which is this beautiful mixing pot of the mm-hmm. fastest an amateur driver can go, plus the experience and, uh, you know, a- absolutely bonkers craziness of pro dri- of driving. It's its a really, really cool mix. Go ahead, sorry. I do want to mention one thing. I want to address the elephant in the room. I know it's been a well-addressed... People take it as fact. It's not confirmed yet, but it's, pretty much, it's well known, uh, the story that um, LMP2 is going to be gone from the WEC next year. However, I want to make sure that this that this does this does not include Lama. Yeah, so absolutely. I'll have LMP two at Lama. I uh, just wanted to point that out because I know that is potentially one of the discussion points or one of the news that's going to break on Friday during their annual press conference. Yes, and that would be a shame for the WC, but I can understand why. Pardon me, that will happen. So we might talk about that if we've got time at the end, but I suspect we won't. Because, as I was saying, we have, pardon me again, 24 cars. So what we're going to do is we're going to break them up into three groups. We're going to go nine cars to start with, and then we'll take a little bit of a break and talk about some other factors to consider when we're talking about LMP2. Then we'll do the rest of the uh, the LMP2 cars, uh, which is a further seven cars. And then what we'll do is we'll talk about the subclass LMP2 Pro-Am and we'll go through the nine cars in LMP2 Pro-Am because while not a out-and-out class on its own, it is a fascinating little subplot to what will be a hotly contested 24 hours with 24 cars. Chris? Yeah, technically, I guess that brings us up to uh, four classes. So I guess the four classes that Lamar still uh, still holds. So. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a, th- a three plus one. Yeah, if yeah. you want to get pedantic about things. <laughs> um, so, if you are following along at home with us, firstly, thank you very much. Secondly, what you should do before we start is get yourself over to spotters.guide and pick up your Mateus Groziak Spotters Guide, your the Spotters Guide for the 24 Hours of Lamar. What this is, is this is a, uh information sheet of all of the cars in the race with pictures, uh with their numbers, their class, the drivers, their driver ratings, and what class they've come from, all in one handy sheet. It's very, very beautiful, very well done. And I do want to put out a big shout out to um, Mateusz Groziak, who's uh, Zionbel444 on on Reddit. Um, He started doing this project as a a fan-based fill-in for the Andy Blackmore Spotters Guide when Andy Blackmore decided that he couldn't do it anymore. Um, This is now the the third or fourth year that he's done it. Um, And since he started doing this for R-WEC, he's now gone on to be commissioned by the Creventic 24-hour series to do their spotters guides as well. And I am aware of further works that he's going to be asked to do in the future. So uh, a huge thanks to uh, Mateusz Groziak for doing this. Um, and it's a it's a key part of the Le Mans puzzle. So if you are following along, make sure you've got the spotter's guide out because that's what we're using to talk about the cars. So thank you very much, yeah. Mateusz. A busy, busy man too because uh, Kurentik has a race scheduled this weekend as well. I don't know why they did it, but they had to make two separate spotter guides for two different races. That's a hell of a workload. Uh, absolutely commend him on his uh, awesome work. And uh, yeah, definitely check out the Spotters Guide. It'll be, you'll have updates and corrections made throughout the week. So if you want to wait until, let's say, Friday to 
print out the up most correct up to date versions, they'll be making those corrections. So definitely shout out to a zombie, uh, Zion Bell four four four. He'll be on the Discord as well on the Reddit. Uh, over the weekend, uh, definitely praise him for his efforts whenever you get the chance. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's awesome, awesome work. Chris, let's get into it. We're going to start with one of the absolute powerhouses of LMP2 at the moment, Prema Racing. So Prema Racing are bringing two cars uh, this year to Le Mans through their WC entries. Um, so both cars are full T's and WC cars. First off is the number nine with uh, gold-rated Bent Viscal and a pair of silver-rated drivers, um, Philip Ergen and one Manuel Correa. Uh, so that's a quite an interesting car, Chris. Uh, not quite the outright firepower in that car just yet, um, but a really, really good story to see the return of one Manuel Correa in such a big way um, on a big stage. Yeah, absolutely. I bet this call has shown that he has some good pace here. Uh, Philip Urgon was kind of a head scratcher because I I know he said before, uh, in the past that the the junior series results don't necessarily translate to LP two, but it was based based on his history. It people did think that he was just basically the money man behind the team, um, and then yeah, he bought Juan uh, Manuel Correa, which if you don't know. He was injured in that unfortunate accident at uh, Spa in that Formula 2 race in 2019 that killed Antoine Hubert. And having him recover from that, uh, I can't remember the the extent of the injuries he had, but put him out of action for a while. And he only got back, I believe, middle of last year. Um, I think he's currently racing in F2. But yeah, he's definitely uh, expanding his efforts in racing in the, in the LMP2 category. Yeah, it's it's been wonderful to see him back in, and it's a very interesting car to be in because it's a, a trio of like former single seater talent. Um, they haven't quite had the results go their way just yet in the championship. I think their best result so far was a fifth place at Spa Francorchamps, uh, fourth place at Spa Francorchamps. Sorry. Um, so you know, a, a bit of a, a bit of learning still to do in that car. The other car, on the other hand, has been a force to be reckoned with. This is the number sixty-three, uh, which has. Uh, Mirko Bortolotti and Daniel Kvyat as the two Platinums in the car. And they're joined by uh, the very highly rated uh, Dorian Pan, uh, the uh, French uh, junior female, uh, I think, former single-seater driver. Um, But she's been drafted into this Premier Racing uh, through connections with Iron Lynx and uh, the Iron Dames project. And they've been setting the world on fire in that car. Yeah, I don't know if Pan was a feeder series driver by no the first time i've heard of her was in ferrari challenge europe where she absolutely stomped the field and that was 2019 2020 or maybe 2021 i don't know the years just seem to fly by they're all all blurred now aren't they yeah yeah but she definitely has impressed us every time she stepped in the iron dames car it for uh other than ferrari challenge it shows that she has the pace i mean even contributing to the win at the 24 hours of spa last year in the, uh, in the gold cup. So definitely a powerhouse. I could have made history. It's uh, possibly Sebring. I know there's a lot of hype because they were, uh, I think in the lead for a second, but that was because uh pit cycle and they got, uh, as soon as they made their pits out, they got transferred down. I believe they were on the podium for that race. They finished in second in that race. Yep. Yeah, so definitely some good results this season so far. Daniel Kvyat, 
some would say controversial because of the whole war in Ukraine, Russian driver, but uh, if I remember correctly, they have to sign a document saying they condemn the war, which you can have your arguments on that. Yeah, um, it's a, a token effort is still an effort, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but, but anyway, it shows that he still has the pace. Uh, uh, the Mirko Bertolotti, which we all know from his Lamborghini efforts in GT3 racing, uh, and happy to see, happy to know they stuck out long enough that this is basically just a preparation for him uh, for his hypercar seat next year. And like, as I said, Mirko Bortolotti has been setting the world absolutely on fire in the LMP2 car. And Dorian Pin has been absolutely holding her own weight as well. So that car, I, I would say, Chris, wouldn't be too far off an overall victory if the, the cards fall their way. No, I absolutely agree on that. Uh, the next car we're going to look at in the list is the number 10 Vector Sport Orica 07. Uh, this is one of the uh, another car with two uh, silver drivers in it, so two amateurs. Uh, they're anchored by Gabriel Aubrey, a gold-rated French driver, and the two silver drivers are Ryan Cullen and Matthias Kayser. Uh, now, you're always going to be a bit... Uh, a bit hamstrung if you're running two amateurs in an LMP2 car, but of of the amateurs to run, Ryan Cullen, a very experienced uh, IMSA driver, if I recall correctly, um, and Matthias Kayser, so a, a young driver, definitely on the rise. Yeah, so as long as I could remember, Ryan Cullen was involved in LMP2 racing. Uh, definitely the, he's definitely the money man behind the team, because uh, I believe he might, he might even, I know in the past, the cars he raced, he flat out owned them. I don't know yeah. about this one, but um yeah, Matthias Kaiser, like you said, up and coming driver, he definitely has impressed uh in the past. And then Gabriel Aubrey, which we know who Gabriel Aubrey is every and and in an LP two category. He's been around for as long as I remember and he absolutely crushes it at the end of the day. And also, uh if you look at delivery, this is basically quote unquote the a soda friend uh Franchini. Uh, I probably butchered that so hard. <laughs> uh, basically, because uh, the Asota, unfortunately, is not here despite their efforts to try to get in the season. But Vector Sport will be the team that will carry out the operations for the Asota team once they get that hypercar program on the uh, underway. Yes, um, and yeah, that's going to be another one of those boutique sort of manufacturers out of the woodwork that's going to come through and build a hypercar. So that looks to debut later on in the season, and that will be running in parallel with this program. So... Uh, yeah, really cool for Vector Sport to be involved with that and really cool for Isota I to pick up a customer uh, already. Um, that's really, really awesome. Um, also, Chris, uh, something a little special about this car, um, Matthias Kayser, uh is a Lichtenstein flags driver. How many Lichtenstein flags drivers have you ever seen in, in sports cars or in racing at all? I'm, I'm going to have my obscurity show. I believe Fabian Bolven? Is a Lichtenstein driver who raced in the W series. So it, it, it's a, uh, what's that Dr. Doofenshmirtz quote? It's like, it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So nothing new per se, but yeah, definitely a very rarity and glad to see some more, uh, don't want to say diversity, but, but more countries on the grid. Yeah, absolutely. It is a bit of a, a, a novel one. Um, what are your realistic thoughts for Vector Sport? What, what should they be aiming for in, in this edition of Loire? Um, uh, I, I don't know. Vector Sport, I mean, full-time LMP2 team, that, that track time and car operating time 
is absolutely invaluable, but I mean, there's some stiff competition here, and I mean, I don't know how you're going to compete with the likes of, let's say, United Autosport or WRT or even Jota. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe not Jota, but yeah, but it's maybe not. I don't know. I, I think they don't have the as I, I was thinking. They have all the star power that they had. That's true. They're not all the star power, but the 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 the, the very very good guys. You know, moved up the hypercar. But yeah. yeah, anyway, I think middle of the pack for them. I think based on their results this season, the WEC, I don't remember ha- seeing them at the very forefront. So that's what I'm basing my prediction on. Yeah. Um, let's have a look quickly on their results this season. They have uh, had uh, a, a, a ninth place at Sebring uh, and then outside the top 10 at Portimao. And they didn't finish Spa. So not quite where they want to be just yet. Uh, but there's still time in that program. Um, now, you did mention the might of United Autosports. So let's go there next. Uh, United Autosports are bringing two cars. Uh, the number 22, uh, which has got uh, Philip Hansen, gold-rated Philip Hansen, and sil- uh, platinum-rated Felipe Albuquerque, uh, which have been a long dr- long-time driver pairing, which took a Le Mans victory in class, uh, I think, in 2020. Um, and they are joined by uh, the silver driver, Frederick Lubin. Uh, and then in the 23, you've got uh, Josh Pearson as the silver, joined by Tom Blomqvist and Oliver Jarvis as platinum drivers. Uh, United Autosports, for a period of time, were the team in LMP2. As in, they won the six hours... They they won every race at Spa-Francorchamps, whether that be WC or ELMS, for five seasons straight. They won almost every race in LMP2 in a period of time. Uh, they were the unstoppable force of LMP2 for a while. They're not quite at their absolute might at the moment, but surely... Any conversation about a victory in LMP2 has to include United Autosports. Absolutely. And you mentioned, uh, let's start off with the 22 car. I mean, look who's in the car. Philip Hansen, who has been with United for as long as I remember. He might have been a talk with Motorsports in the past, but that's just, that was years ago, and I could be very well wrong on that. But Felipe Albuquerque up next, platinum driver, hypercar factory driver for Acura. And then you have Frederick Lubin, who was kind of new in the mix this year. He was a junior series driver. But, I mean, he immediately showed he belonged that win at Sebring. Yeah, and then we got the 23 car, which, my, it's stacked. Uh, Josh <laughs> Pierce, was, who came on the scene last year, he's also an Indy Next driver, showed that he had the pace to belong in sports cars, that he wasn't, like, he wasn't too bad. Tom Blomquist and Oliver Jarvis. How? How do they get these <laughs> it, It's uh, it's almost unfair at this point. It, it it really is just incredible the quality that United Autosports continues to attract. Um, and of course, Josh Pearson is the youngest driver in the field at seventeen years old and a little bit. So you know he's he's already got quite a CV as a as a United Autosports driver. Um, but it is it is just quality wherever you look. You know, Oliver Jarvis is a former Audi. LMP1 driver, Tom Blomquist, or former, uh, I want to say, BMW driver, uh, amongst other things. Uh, and then over the over the other side of the page, Felipe Albuquerque, another Audi, former Audi LMP1 driver. And yeah, you said Philip Hansen, he was a silver driver with United Autosports and has done so well through their training programs that he's now gold and also carrying his weight as a gold professional driver. Um, so 
United Auto Sports, in order to win Le Mans, first they're going to beat each other. But with that in mind, which one do you reckon has got the better chance? Ooh, that, 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 that's a tough one. Um, if we're completely going on driver rating alone, it would be the 23 since they have two platinums and a silver. Uh, the 22 has gold, platinum, silver, respectively. Yeah. But, but I mean, it, it's tough. I mean, Philip Hansen, even though he might be... Uh, he might be the money man. Um, well, he was certainly not... he certainly uh, uh, was part of their development program, so he yeah, was certainly yeah. for a for a while paying for that drive. Yeah, um, even though he's still rapidly quick with some very impressive performances in European Le Mans in the past. It's but uh, you still Felipe Albuquerque, who if he's in the car, he's one of the best drivers in the class out there. But if I had to give a nod, it would go. I I think it would go towards the twenty three. And also, flood. I don't know if you noticed this, as the Australian in the in the room. Look at the uh, rear of the car. A Walkinshaw Andretti United logo. Yeah, yeah, of course. That wouldn't wouldn't be wouldn't be right without you know uh, the Walkinshaw Andretti United uh, you know conglomerate being on there. Of course. Um. So for those who aren't aware, um, these in supercars, uh, the Walkinshaw team, um, uh, was bought into by. Mario Andretti and uh, United Autosports and has become uh, Mike, a, Michael Andretti. Michael Andretti, rather. Sorry. Um. So yeah. So it's good to see that little bit of representation go back the other way as well. Um. Yeah. Let's just let's just hope uh, the, the, the 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 some of the drivers that we mentioned. Hopefully, you know, because United Autosports. If we're gonna just the elephant in the room, one of the major LMP2 cars or LMP2 teams that do not have any hypercar uh, plans at the moment. Uh, nothing planned. One would assume that United Auto Sports would go with McLaren if they did that, but we all know how McLaren is dragging their feet That's on true. the subject. So, yeah, hope hopefully hopefully uh we get we get to see some of these drivers in the top class because they surely deserve it. And hopefully yeah. uh with uh, McLaren, it'd be nice to see them on the top class. That would be um just to finish off in United quickly. Um, so far they have taken uh I think. A podium in every race and a, uh, a race win at each in each of these cars. So the 22 won at Sebring, um, the 23 won at uh, Portimao, and then the 23 took a podium at Port uh, at uh, Spa, whereas the uh, 22 took a podium at Portimao. So there's really nothing between these except for a DNF at Sebring for the number 23, which, if I recall correctly, was not of their own doing. It was caused by a uh, FIA mandated sensor that failed that broke the car effectively. Uh, I don't know if it was a sensor. I believe it was more of a uh, TV camera. That's, uh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, that messed with the electronics a bit. So yeah, so uh, TV production haven't had to answer some questions on that one. Yeah. So what we're saying is United are rapid. Yep, so that we're, we're all okay with that. We're all okay with that. Next down on the list is Joda, the number 28. So normally Joda would be fielding two cars. They'd have the number 28 and the Mighty 38. Uh, of course, the Mighty 38 is now running in hypercar. So the LMP2 program for Joda is restricted to this one car. Um, they have a very experienced silver driver of David Hennemeyer Hansen behind the wheel, um, uh, along with Oliver Rasmussen as gold and Pietro Fittipaldi as another gold-rated driver. Now, uh, DHH has been racing in LMP2 for a long period of time um, and was one of the rebellion drivers uh, in 2017 when they dropped down to LMP2. And he had some stints 
in those season, early seasons in LMP2 where he was fighting with and holding off the likes of people like Bruno Senna. So Hannibal Hansen was super quick for a while. I'm not just not quite sure that this team has the same, as you said, star power as it would have had they not been fielding the hypercar at the same time, Chris. Yeah, it's definitely a step below. Not not trying to invalidate the talent of these drivers. But yeah, David Hennemeyer Hansen, he's been around the LMP2 game wow, for at least, has it been over 10 years now? Because I remember him racing ALMS LMP2. He he uh, used to race in GTM. He used to he used to drive the Dane Train um, in GTM. In fact, has a class victory at Le Mans um, in the Dane Train uh, in 2014, I want to say. Yeah, so he also did that, but I also I believe I do remember him racing LMP2 okay. in the American Le Mans series before they got merged with uh, Grand Am. Oh, wow. Uh, that that, yeah. that is the before times. Yeah. Um, Oliver Rasmussen, he was in the Junior Series, the FIA uh, Series. I I almost got confused with Christian Rasmussen, who's racing in Indy Next. That might have been uh, a brother uh, or something of relation, but not Christian. It's Oliver Rasmussen, who has been in this. He's been with the uh, Jonah crew for a year or two now, hasn't he? Uh, I believe so. I, it might even be longer than that. I, I think he was driving when they were, when they had the the the, the green cars. Um, he was at the wheel of one of them for quite a pe- uh, quite a period of time. Yep. And then uh, Pietro Fittipaldi, which this is the uh, I'm going to put my obscure cap on. Hickory Speedway late model track champion. Stop. <laughs> for those who don't know, Hickory Speedway is a NASCAR track in North Carolina, so technically. There's this, this this is a NASCAR champion in in this car. Put some name on, put some respect on his name. Uh, but also F1 driver for Haas, um, and just general decent driver. I forgot that he did F1 with Haas. Ah, there you yeah, go. He did that. He did that one race. Uh, I can't remember. I think one of the drivers caught COVID. It was during that period, and he did a single race with the team. There you go. Um, oh, no, wasn't he, uh, the stand-in for Grosjean after Grosjean's massive crash? Was, was that it? That could have been. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That would make the most sense. Yeah. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on, on Jota in this car this season? They, they've taken a best place to fourth at Sebring, but they haven't really had the, the best run of results to show for it since. Um, is, is the... Is the is the pace there for Jota? I think so. I mean, it, it, it's Lamar. Jota has well, the most experience here from most of the LMP2 teams. And then David Hennemar Hansen, that experience is going to be invaluable that he'll be able to uh, 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 teach on to the others in the car. So I think that this car could be easily be top 10. Just a quick note on this car before we move on. This car was the fastest at the test day um, for LMP2, setting a 335.4. Um, so still quite a bit of pace to find in this car, in in all of these cars. But on, I think I saw a tweet saying uh, in the last 10 years, um, any car there's been at least one car that has ended the test day on top uh, and then has gone on to finish on the podium in class. So that's a good sign. Yep, very, very good uh... Time, a very good sign indeed. 
next up is the first of our European Le Mans series invited entrants, and that is the number 30 Duquesne team, uh, Orica 07. Uh, this is the black and green example, the number 30, with uh, bronze driver, oh, sorry, silver driver Nico Pino, uh, joined by Rene Binder, and uh, yeah, the aforementioned Neil Jani, former N- Le Mans. Uh, Le Mans winner. Uh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Former Le Mans winner and WC world champion, uh, in 2016. So, uh, quite a big boon for Duquesne to have Neil Johnny, uh, racing for them, Chris. Yeah. And Neil Johnny, he wants us to mention this, but Neil Johnny did race LP2s, uh, at Asian Le Mans series for the aforementioned, I believe, controversial 98. Ah, yes. Team. So, and he wasn't too impressive in that. So we'll have to see if that was just uh, a case of the team not knowing what they were doing or as some uh, uh, other people, things. Yeah, uh, other people, other things people have been saying about, about Neil uh, ever since he dropped, got dropped by Porsche. Well, but yeah, hopefully. I, I, I do want to counter that because this car won in inverted commas, the first round of the European Le Mans series this year at uh, the Four Hours of Barcelona. And I say won, because while it is scored as the uh, the winner in LMP2, it actually finished second. But we'll talk a bit more about that in a second, uh, or a bit later on. So this car certainly has pace, and certainly has pace with Gianni behind the wheel. Um, so, because, you know, European Le Mans series is very competitive, and for to take a class win, even though it's not an overall win, is still quite quite an achievement. Yeah, it's very competitive. And the LB2 Pro-Am, because in ELMS, LB2 Pro-Am is uh, actually divided into different colors. It's light blue. Yeah, it's um, scored separately. Well, it adds an interesting mix to the races. And if this pace, if this pace comes up like uh, Barcelona, then yeah, this car shouldn't be too much of an issue. Do you reckon this car has the pace to challenge for a top five or a, a podium position overall? Or not overall, in LP 2 rather? It's always uh, tough to rate the ELMS cars because the ELMS cars, uh, I believe, are running unrestricted this year. Uh, Ooh, possibly. Not, I don't know if they'll have any much of a difference. I'm just an armchair racer here. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, Duquesne, they are a respected team. Uh, Rene Bender, I know Rene Bender is kind of a meme in IndyCar, and I think. In the open wheel, in, in, in the open wheel scene, I haven't really rated him too much. Uh, basically, nothing stands out to me from a sports car racing career yet that makes me go, "Oh, he's good," or at least better than what I picture him as. So I don't know. This could be I could be completely wrong, and this could be like one of the sleepers that make it to like top four or something. Well, Duquesne have traditionally been a uh, a car that outperforms its expectations. So hopefully we'll see this one uh, in in the mix uh, later on in the race. Uh, we'll do, talk about one more team before we take a little bit of a sidebar and talk about uh, a few other considerations in LMP2. Um, but we do need to talk about Team WRT. Uh, Team WRT are bringing two cars to Le Mans. Um, both of them are WEC full season entrants. Uh, the number 31 is crewed by uh, silver driver Sean Galeo, who brings the money and the sponsorship. Um, and also quite a fair bit of driving talent. And he's joined by Ferdinand Habsburg and Robin Freins. And then in the 41, uh, we have the Andorran-flagged Rui Andrada uh, as the silver, uh, with alongside Louis Delatraz and Robert Kubica. Now, 
when WRT joined LMP2, it created quite a stir in the in the paddocks of LMP2. The standard that they set uh, f- across the board in terms of their their processes, in terms of their pit stops, in terms of their strategies, in terms of their setup, in terms of their drivers was immaculate. It kind of raised everything to another level again and it showed with their results. Last year, they should have taken a... Oh, sorry, it wasn't last year. It was 2021. They should have taken a 1-2 victory at Le Mans on debut were it not for a throttle sensor that failed on the last lap and then was fine the next day. This team is at the absolute apex of LMP2. And Chris, it kind of blows me away that we've got WRT working so hard in LMP2. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, if I remember correctly, they debuted at Spa during an ELMS round with their with, with Lige. And I think they almost won like right out of the gate. And that really was foreshadowing what was to come to ever, ever since then, because we had, was it 2021 or WRT just had that massive dominating performance in ELMS and won the championship there. Yep. Um, obviously the very good results and, and in WEC since then, it's really quite interesting because WRT is going to field the BMW hypercar in WEC next year. Yes. So, and WRT is a BMW team in the GT3 ranks. It's going to be interesting to see how they balance out because I know they probably would like to have some of their GT3 guys in a hypercar. I wonder, because that's going to be an interesting discussion over the offseason on which one of the people from their LMP2 team and who from their GT3 ranks uh, get the drives. That's going to be fun to watch because there's so much talent in there. I, it's going to be a very, very hard decision for the higher-ups here, for Vincent Moss and the entire crew, to uh, make that decision on who gets to go up. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an embarrassment of riches that they've got uh, there, don't they? Um, and I'm sure BMW will be very, very happy with whoever they choose. But it is there will be some level of competition within. Um, and, of course, some level of competition uh, at Le Mans within between the two the two groups of drivers. So, um, Sean Galeau, Ferdinand Hasberg, Robin Fryens. Um, uh, so, Habsburg and Fryens won Le Mans in 2021. Um, they were driving with Charles Molesi at the time. Um, Sean Galeo was with Joda Sport at the time, or Joda, and finished second on that race. Um, so a little bit of a parallel there. Um, but Galeo, uh, despite not being quite the single-seater drive that he was hoping to be, um, still quite, still extremely quick um, and uh, a force to be reckoned with that car as a silver. Um, the other car, Rui Andrada, Louis Delatraz, Robert Kubica, that car should have won uh, that 2021 uh, 24-hours of um, as I said, yeah, were it not for a failure on literally the last lap. Um, and uh, the only difference between now and then is that Andrada uh, wasn't driving with them in 2021. It was Yifei current Jota LMH driver. So, uh, you know, even though that they've subbed out those AMs for different, but still quite high, quite high quality AMs, um, the, the, the driver quality is still just off the scale. Yeah, and even, um, like, I think it's fair to say that Andrade is probably the weaker of the lineup. Um, he, he, he's, I don't remember him being too bad either. He might not be the greatest in terms of uh, single lap pace, but I don't, from what I remember, he doesn't cost the team too much time, which is very important, in the, especially since they're not in a pro-am. 
category. But there's also one thing I want to mention. I believe, like you said, Hoshan Galeo won in 2021. Immediately after that race, uh, someone from our community, I forgot who, who made it to give the credit to, made a chart or a little graph that compared the results of Sean Galeo compared to where the closest KFC was at oh the circuit. Oh my gosh, I remember this. <laughs> and they figured out that the closer the KFC is to the circuit, the better he does. <laughs> Golly, that's... I remember that. I remember that. That was something else. Um, let's put that aside for now. Um, before we start talking about the time that the KFC sponsored Joda car and the uh, McDonald's sponsored Graph car were in battle and made me very, very hungry one year. Um, of these two cars, Chris, which one is the more likely to win the race? 31. The 31, the Galeo Habsburg Freins car? Yep. What about the fate of the other car? Do you think WIT get, could get two cars on the podium? I don't think the 41 will be up on the podium. They might be up there. Um, but if I'm just, there's just so much, there's, there's better cars on the grid. But I think there's better lineups down. Yeah. But I don't see this podium. What if I said to you, Chris, that Team WIT are currently second in the in the World Endurance Championship LMP2 standings that with the 41, which took a podium in Sebring and won last time out at Spa? Does that change your answer? Oh, well. <laughs> I got him. I got him. Oh, the 31 has a better lineup. I, I don't know. It's uh, I would say that the 31 has a better lineup as well, but it just seems that the cards have fallen the way of the, the 41 so far. Uh, Andrade, Delatas, and Kubica have the race results. They had a podium at Portimao, a podium, uh, just off the podium at Sebring, and they won at Spa. So, like, it's 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 there on the results sheet, Chris. I'll, I'll still pick the 31. I'll go get the green. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Okie dokie. Uh, we're, we're, we're nine cars down through the entry list. We just want to take a little bit of a sidebar and go into a bit of a deep dive into... Not quite a deep dive. We just want to talk a bit about the AM driver component of the LMP2 class. So if you listen to our GTE preview, you would, or, you would already know about this. Um, but in LMP2, there is a component where every single car must have an amateur-rated driver in it. So that is an FIA-rated silver or bronze driver in the car. Um, now, generally, generally speaking, um, all of the pros, all of the platinum-rated drivers are going to be, you know, within a very small window of pace. They're all going to be very, very quick. They're all going to be, you know, quite professional. They're not going to make too many mistakes. They're effectively interchangeable so where this class really boils down to is making sure that your am driver uh is the one uh, that you can get up to speed get comfortable in the car because that is where you're going to lose the most time um so chris uh when was the last time you saw a car with two amateur drivers in it in lmp2 perform well hmm. two amateur drivers let me tough because everything's been the pros have been kind of taking over. Uh, like, can you remember a time where it's happened? Um, it, uh, no, I can't. Yeah, and I, I, I would, I would say the same thing. Something that we have seen increase over the last few years is the fact is is the idea that in order to have any chance of battling for anything, you have to have an AM and two pros. Um, so, you know, those first two cars that we talked about, the number nine Prema racing car and the number 10 Vector Sport, 
as uh, as double amateur lineups, what we're suggesting is that they're probably not going to have the same outright pace as the likes of you know uh, Galeo Habsburg and and Freins. Because you know while uh, Habsburg and Bent Viscal might be very closely matched. Uh, Robin Fiennes is going to be a lot quicker than Philippe Ergen or Matthias Kayser. So the silver driver, Chris, is is a really it's a key component of LMP2, and it's it's something that really can change the face of the class very very quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's when the term super silver comes in. Like the whole strategy, the whole plan is to find yourself a silver that the silver is supposed to be relatively like amateurs, right? Yeah, but there are some that they're just basically on the same pace the pros, and that's where the importance of making sure you pick the right driver comes in. Because um, if because it could be the same classification, you could be both be silver, but if you have a silver on pro pace, it's obviously going to benefit more than you, than a silver that you know it has a driver that that, that the category is meant for, which is the amateur driver. And so you, you used a, an interesting phrase there, what the category is meant for. Can you just kind of explain what you mean by the difference of a, a silver, a super silver and a, a driver, what the category is meant for? So so what do you mean when you say something like that? Okay, well, so I think the terms have changed. I know in, in recent years, because when I first started out, I always had silver pegged out to be as like a stepping stone, but like not fully pro. So it's either you're either an amateur or a driver moving up in the ranks. I know bronze is hard on am normally, um, but yes, but more and more so, silver is basically young drivers moving up. Uh, that term is kind of, that that term is changing. So I probably shouldn't have used it mainly for ams, um, but yeah, because when you look at um, yeah, for example, Anders Fordback is is a silver, um, which you could probably correctly uh, classify him as an AM. While you have other guys like, let's say, for example, like Sean Galeo, who's also a silver. So it's really just a huge melting pot of different driver experiences and talent. Yeah. Um, and that's that's my main point, is that you, you have to find uh, one of those drivers who is basically a pro in silver clothing. Yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it, really. And we have seen some drivers, you know, some teams find that pro in silver clothing. You know, we've seen uh, the likes of G Drive uh, pick out uh, 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 um, uh, Andrea Pizzatola uh, for a while. Job Van Oetert for a while was a super silver. You can't call him a super silver now. He's definitely one of the best LMP2 drivers that exists. Um, but for a while, he was an unknown factor that was classified as silver that I think first G-Drive, then United Autosports, realized very quickly was someone that they could slot in and have as much pace as a pro driver while still fulfilling the silver rating. Um, so it's, it's yeah, as you said, a really broad spectrum of paces um, in that silver category. And generally, that's going to dictate how fast you are during the race overall. Um, how, much, how much does a silver driver have to do, Chris, in this class? How much driver time? Hey, so this is why I had... So if you... Uh, I'm going to plug the Discord while I'm at it. So if you are new here, um, we do have an intro to sports cars, which will have uh, introduction to different series and also the different uh, drive times. So let me just double-check the WEC. 
and see what the driver time is for those championships. Um, so LMP2 silver has a minimum drive time. It's, according to my notes here, for 24-hour races, the silvers have to drive for at least six hours. I don't think the regulations changed on that because that was from last year. That's that's yeah that's correct. So you've got to do at least your silver driver has to do at least a quarter of the race. So that's that's a that's a long time to be uh, putting someone in who's going to have less confidence in the car, uh, less fuel for the car, uh, a more uh, you know soft setup, uh, and is still going to be slower than your other drivers. So it's it's quite a complex factor, um, and it is part and parcel of what makes LMP2 so great is because a lot of the time you can kind of hide your silver uh, silver's pace with good strategy but if you're in a heads-up fight and your silver is at the wheel you're going to be in trouble uh so it is one of those little fascinating things about lmp2 which makes it so good to watch after that chris should we get back on with the entry list we probably should we still got a really really uh, long list to go <laughs> yes we've got the, we've got uh, another six cars that are making up the uh the full fl- full-blooded lmp2 cars so let's get straight into the next one and that is the number 34 into europol competition car now this is the green and yellow car um so green on one side yellow on the other this is the 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 Polish bakers. So if you hear us refer to it as the bakers or hear the commentators refer to it as the bakers, this is who they're talking about. And uh, it's because into Europol is a Polish bakery. Um, so that's pretty fun that, that, that they're just, that they're also a race team. Um, so this car has uh, the silver driver, Jakub Spikowski, who is the, uh, the money man behind the team. Um, so he is the one that brings the into Europol sponsorship. Um, and he is driving with uh, gold rated Fabio Scherer and Albert Costa as the platinum. Uh, not uh, Alberto Felix da Costa, just Albert Costa, and and they're different. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so Jacob has been with the team for as long as I remember. He's always been, uh, like if you see Inter Europe, chances are he's included in that lineup. Fabio uh, Scherer, he is a relatively he just popped into sports car racing around twenty twenty. Um, he has been racing in LMP2 since around 2021, so he has experience in these cars. Uh, he's very he's he's relatively decent, including some wins in 2021 at Spa and Monza. Albert Costa, though, he is a kind of went into everybody's radar recently because he is um, he races obviously for Inter Europol, but he's also a GT3 racer for ML Frey Racing. Uh, for GT World Challenge Europe, and they also will be racing in the DTM at Zandvoort, basically two weeks after Lamar replacing Jack Aitken, as that clashes with uh, IMSA at Watkins Glen. And, you know, Albert Costa has quite a long career, actually. He, his race victories go all the way back down to the old Renault three, uh, Formula Renault 3.5 series, which is a long time ago now. So, uh, you know, he's been a bit around for quite a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's been really cool to see the Inter-Europol competition car kind of come into its own a little bit. For a while there, it was just kind of, well, for a long time, it was it felt like it was making up the numbers, but in the last few seasons, they, you know, a new wave of investment has come through and it's really heightened the competition of the inter Europol car to the point where, you know, they've taken two podiums this year and no one's surprised. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's so good to see this when this team gets good results because this is kind of, it feels like one of those pop, um, mom and pop shop teams 
where it's 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 just a small little operation, and when they get great results, it's so good to see. So this car, as I said, has taken two podiums this season in the WEC. It currently sits fifth in the standings, um, behind the likes of Premier Racing, United, and Team WRT. Can it uh, replicate that for Lamar? Can it finish in the top five at Lamar? Can it get a podium at Lamar? Um, maybe not podium, but I I think the meme um, going around is that uh, it seems like they just have bad luck, and any any time they do great, not not this year, obviously, if the two podiums in WC and the uh, race with Asian Lamar. But the meme was any time that they were on the cusp of greatness, something just had to happen. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Uh, in terms of overall podium, that's that's that's, uh, that's tough to say. I I I think top five could be on the cards. I I, I would be impressed, but not surprised if they grabbed the top five. I think is how I put it. Yeah, I mean, when you have the likes of WRT and uh, United and Prima, that's very very stiff competition. It can really, it's really a horse of peace. It can really go either way, can it? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, and as, as I said, LMP2 was so competitive, a lot of these cars would have a chance. So it's kind of exciting in that respect. Um, we'll leave into Europol there. We'll talk about the two cars brought along by the Alpine Elf team. Um, so this is a bit of a, a weird year for Alpine um, because they were racing the uh, grandfathered LMP1 car last year. Uh, they have plans to bring in the LMDH car for next year or uh, maybe even the year after. But in the meantime, they're kind of just existing. Um, the The two cars are the number 35 and the number 36. The 35 with Memo Rojas as the bronze driver. Um, quite a... Uh, now, I, I feel like Memo Rojas has been racing in, GT, uh, in Grand Am forever, right? Like, I haven't got that wrong. He's just been in Grand Am forever. Uh, yeah, I, I believe I remember him racing with Scott Pruitt with the Chip Ganassi deep, uh, the top prototype team, uh, ever since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, and well, one Rolex 24s with them, um, was champions in that. So you can argue that maybe the quality of the lineups weren't as great as here. I'll have to do a, that might be a rabbit hole. I might dive <laughs> down at the podcast, but that- yeah, uh. That, oh, that's been, that's another that's another thing to have uh, a conversation to have. Um, he's also uh, won the European Le Mans series uh, with both G Drive and IDEX Sport, so still quite a quality driver, even though he's getting old in a- uh, older in age. Um, but he's joined by Gold drivers Oli Caldwell and Andre Negrau, um, who was part of the LMP1 program for Alpine. Um, the number thirty six has Julian Canal, who lives literally within the Le Mans circuit. Um, I think he owns the McDonald's on uh, the first chicane. Uh, so that's Julian Canal. Um, and he's quite an accomplished silver driver. Um, and then also young up-and-coming driver Charles Malesi and a bit more established, but still very young and still very up-and-coming, Matteo Vaxivier in the number 60, uh, 36. Um, but it, it's a bit weird. The, neither of these teams, you know, scream race-winning driver lineup to me, which is surprising because for Alpine, that's been their entire MO for a long period of time. Yeah, and from what I remember this season at WWC, they haven't been too impressive either in their races. Um, just Signatech, who runs the Alpine Elf team, they're normally pretty successful. Um, mm. So like- yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see. I know 
on paper, the 36 is, I would say, a better lineup than the 35. I know people don't really rate L.D. Caldwell that great. Uh, he really only got, from what I understand, he really only got the gold because of his stint in the feeder series. Um, and also, um, not like this is not important, but we actually know who to blame for the McDonald's closure for on 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 the on the on Lama. Is it because close they're now? Doing, yeah, they're closing it for refurb uh, for uh, renovations, it, according to a, a Facebook post on the Radio Show Limited, which is the basically the Radio Lama Facebook group. What? But that's the, that's the hot story going around that it's closed for uh, renovations on probably their biggest week of the year. Damn. Damn. <laughs> How am I meant to get my Maccas without the Lamar Maccas being open? Gosh. Yeah, so if 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 you uh if you're mad that you can't get your Big Mac during the race, you can uh blame Julian Canal, I guess. Just take him out yeah. of the car. Um anyway, anyway, anyway. Um Canelo's a great silver. Remember, Rojas is a you know great former pro. Um something that does worry me a little bit is that something that happens with super silver drivers when they transition to gold is that that transition doesn't come easy. All of a sudden you're going from the lowest rung in the team where everyone sets up the car for you to do well in it to having to coach a silver driver, help them set up the car and also deal with a car that is less set up for your benefit. Not every single silver driver can make that graduation smoothly. Um, And I think having... Ollie Caldwell and Charles Malesi in those two separate cars may be part of the reason why they've struggled so much this season um, because they're no longer getting that support that they'd be used to from, you know, Charles Malesi used to race with WRT and had Ferdy Hatsberg and Robin Fryens helping him set up a car. So it's it's, it's a, a kind of a steep transition that not everyone can, can get all at once. So I wonder if that's maybe to explain part of why they're currently ninth and 10th in the WEC standings at the moment. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Another thing that, like you said, this is a stopgap year. So, like, they probably, obviously they want to win, but they're probably not taking it as a huge loss if they don't perform up to the highest of standards because they're basically just gathering uh, more data, more experience to run their hypercar for next year, which, uh, from what I understand, will be debuted on Friday. Yes, uh, we have seen teasers of it already, so um, hopefully we'll see a bit more of a uh, fully fledged look at it on the on the the press conference on Friday. Um, just quickly, uh, Alpine Elf, what are your expectations? Uh, your top five, top ten, top fifteen, top twenty four, midfield, midfield, solid midfield. Okay, that's a bit sad to say. I I I I want them to do well. We'll move on. Uh, we've got the next. Uh, Pro, well, the next LMP2 car on the list is the number 47 Cool Racing car because, you know, how, how cool is a team if it's called Cool Racing, guys? Um, they have their AM driver Vladislav Lomko as the silver, um, joined by Simon Pagenaud as the uh, the platinum driver and Richard de Guerres as the gold driver. Now, Richard de Guerres set Barcelona on fire when in the European Le Mans series qualifying, setting an absolutely crazy lap uh, in the number 47 to take pole. Um, he looks like a prospect for the future. He's already rated gold. Um, but the, the rest of the team, I'm not... Uh, not 100% sold on. Uh, Lomko hasn't really been, you know, uh, as as close to that um, level 
in in as the as the silver driver. Um, but Simon Pagenaud, I guess, is is good as a platinum. I'm not sure. Lomko, he was racing in Euro Formula Open the past year or so. Um, he was up front, but that field that has a, such a small sample size that you don't know if it's uh, just big fish in a little pond scenario. Uh, but Simon Pagenaud, he is definitely a well. Uh, He's definitely going to be well treated uh, as an addition there because he is uh, a very good driver. His IndyCar results might not show it this year, uh, racing for Meyer Shank in that camp. But yeah, Simon Pagno, keep in mind, he was an American Le Mans Series champion in a prototype. So he knows what he's doing. Wow. That, yeah, that's a that's a long, long time ago. Um, something I didn't realize about uh, Vladislav Lomko, by the way, uh, he's 18. So no wonder he's taking a little while to to get up to speed. He's probably doesn't even know what speed is yet. <laughs> and it's showing that he, at quite a young age, eighteen years old, that's actually impresses me. They made the switch. I don't know if he's still doing feeder series. I've been keeping up too much on that. But if he, if he has made the switch completely, that's impressive. Knowing that at eighteen years old, he kind of saw the writing on the wall. It's like okay, well, I guess I can. Uh, Maybe the dream is dead for this section of the motorsport world, but I could possibly get a living here. So, um, and as well, uh, Daguerre's is only nineteen, so this is an extremely young outfit uh, to be paired with or, between the two of them. And adding the experience of Paginot is is quite a masterstroke, truth be told. Yeah, I mean, having an Indy five hundred winner and I believe Rolex twenty four winner as well, it's going to be invaluable for that because Simon Paginot, local, not local and like Bordeaux local in terms of actually being from law but having have raced here before um that's definitely going to be something that the, the youngsters will be clinging on to every word that they'll for uh that Simon Pagano says with that in mind this experience uh, this this great mix of experience and youth um do we see this maybe being a dark horse for the race uh, possibly I know uh like you said Garrett set the world on fire in Elam S. But that's not the WEC. Um, as much as I, um, a lot more, I would say, heavy hitters in the WEC. Lomco, once again, like I said, pos- uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, on that. I don't remember his results this season. So, it, it, like, and like I said, I remember him mainly from Year Formula Open, which he did. He was up front there, but that was only like a twelve car grid. And then Pagno, the Pagno speaks for himself. This could be a dark horse. I think this could be a car that maybe uh, towards the end of the race, it might be like the one of the, uh, I would say, possibly top five. Because it seems like every year, Lamar, there's always a car that, that's up there that everyone's kind of like, wait, how did he get up there? So th- this could be it. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited to see the, uh, this car perform um this might be just some something that i keep keep an eye on through the course of the race i'd be surprised if they cracked the top five um but i'd be very happy to see it uh i think we've got i think two more cars uh for the lmp2 standard um before we move into pro-am so we've got the number 48 idex sport as the last uh the second to last one that is uh the predominantly blue car this year um and this has paul lafargue as the silver um with paul loop chatin longtime co-driver and lawrence hoare which steps into a lmp2 drive for the first time in a in my memory, I think, Chris, um, and you couldn't say a driver who's deserved an LMP2 drive more than Lawrence Hoare. Uh, yeah, Lawrence Hoare, uh, he, wasn't he racing for Mulder last year in ELMS? 
Oh, um, I am not sure. Is that uh, was that in LMP three or LMP two? Um, Mulder had an LMP two last year at the European Le Mans series. Well, there you go. I mostly remember Lawrence Hoare from just some absolutely outstanding drives in the DKR Engineering uh, Norma in uh, in LMP3. Uh, so that's where I have recognized his driving from. Um, he did drive. Uh, he didn't drive in LMP2 last season. He drove. He, he had a one-off at uh, Le Mans for DKR Engineering, uh, I think. Uh, but apart from that, has not raced an LMP2 car before. No, oh, okay. I I remember him from the Molnar cars and uh, IMSA, I guess. Which it's weird because they didn't really race that much. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah but, he was he was in the LMP3 cars uh, in in that yep. championship. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like like you like like you said, his experiences in the DKR engineering car, especially when Lamar Cup, uh, the first like couple of years of that, it was absolutely astonishing because I remember when that DKR engineering car was pretty much like uh red red bulls in formula one it was just like so, it was so dominant no one could really catch up to them um now obviously that's changed um for lamar cup which will the racing friday and Saturday, uh, thursday and friday nice little plug um but yeah lawrence are very very impressive i hope that this car gets a great result because he deserves it and and the the pairing of paul lafar and paul loop chatin that has been a uh, a long time successful pairing in idex sport I believe this pairing might even have a European Le Mans Series championship with uh, Memo Rojas um, in 2019 uh, to go by. Uh, Lafarge certainly was the AM driver in that occasion, but I'm not sure if uh, Paul Lupchatin was driving with him as well. So, you know, it's it's they might not be at the absolute peak of their powers right now, but they certainly, um, certainly have had championship winning form before and it was Paul Luchatin with him at the time as well so yeah you know quite a quite a team to be reckoned with and uh the car is a very unique livery for this uh edition as well because normally EDEC has a red based for their car a red based livery uh this year for Le Mans they got a Delage sponsorship which is a French old French car manufacturer that According to my research, it ceased operation in 1953. So it's part of celebrating the centenary, uh, celebrating uh, all the stuff that happened in the races past. And Delage uh, was was part of that. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really, really cool. I like to see that sort of uh, homage to Delage. Um, realistically, with uh, with the quality of some of the other teams, um, the fact that you've got Lawrence Hoare in his second LMP2 drive, uh, what are, what are our expectations for IDEX Sport? Um, they had a, a torrid run. They've had a torrid run at Le Mans in the past uh, recent years as well. I remember there was one year where they had uh, two cars start a lap down from pit lane, and you know the whole big story for them was getting both of them to the finish. Uh, do you think getting to the finish uh, in the top ten would be a, a a good goal for them, or do you expect a bit more? I, I think top ten would be a bit uh, a good goal. With how stacked everything is and the, 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 just the quality of the drivers in this lineup, I think top 10 will be very commendable for this effort. I'd, I'd hope so. Um, they finished sixth in the European Le Mans Series opener, so not great, but not terrible. 
Um, but as you said, it is a bit hard to compare from the Euro- European Le Mans Series to the WEC. So top 10 for IDEX Sport is what we're going with. Um, the last car that is a fully fledged uh, LMP2 car is the Panis Racing car, uh, which is French flagged, of course. Uh, this has uh, the younger cousin, I believe, uh, of uh, Pastor Maldonado, in Manuel, Manuel Maldonado as the silver driver. And he's joined by Timon van der Helm um, and Job van Oetert, two uh, Dutch uh, gold drivers. Uh, we've talked about Job van Oetert being one of the best LMP2 drivers at the moment. Uh, Timon van der Helm has certainly done a good job at that level as well. Uh, Manuel Maldonado... Um, the, the reputation of his cousin is a bit of a meme. Pastor is actually quite a good driver, um, but Manuel hasn't really shown the same outright pace just yet, I don't think. Uh, would you think that, do you think that's fair in saying? I, I, maybe not extracting the best possible pace, but I never really rated uh, Manuel as a bad driver. Yeah. I think he, he, he does well, especially since as a silver. Um, I don't remember him. I, at least I don't remember any cases where, like, I'm, you know, I see him doing stupid stuff on the track. Or well, there was yeah, that so- there was that one year where he was in the United Autosports car and took out the other United Autosports car at Le Mans in like the early hours of darkness. Remember that? No, uh, I don't remember that. You don't remember that? Oh gosh, that nah. was like twenty twenty one, I think. Um, that was that. Dunlop chicane? Yeah, that was Dunlop chicane. No, may, may, maybe I do. I, I that's that, 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 yeah, that's a, that's a little bit fussy. But uh, even then, I would say I would hope. Hopefully, he was improved on that. Yeah, Van Nortert. I mean, everybody knows about him, and he's very, yeah, very yeah. good. Simon Vanderhelm. He is. Uh, I know that he is kind of an unknown quality compared to recent year because he kind of jumped on the scene relatively recently, hasn't he? He, I would say he's been setting the world on fire. Uh, he's definitely kind of a guy who brings some money to the team because I know that's the case for JDC Miller Motorsports on the IMSA side of things, which I guess a plus is is that Tymon has some hypercar experience that so he can uh, transfer I- over, see if that helps. But yeah, I, I if I have to give an honest opinion on, on this car, I would probably give it the same as the Edex Sport, which would be top 10 would be pretty good. Yeah, hot damn. I did not realize that uh, Vanderhelm had been signed up to support JDC Miller's GTP program. That's kind of nuts. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, especially considering he's 19. So remember how we said that this was a, a place for up-and-coming drivers to really show their craft? Another 19-year-old and on the, the the footsteps of an LMH drive. That's kind of nuts. Um, this car finished fifth at the... Uh, opening round of the European Le Mans series off the back of Van der Helm and Van Oetert. Um, so, you know, if Van Oetert and Van, Van der Helm are in the car at the right time, this could be another one to sort of sneak under the radar into a good position. I mean, possibly. Uh, like, like, I don't know if it's been mentioned before, but with the whole uh, new system for safety cars at Le Mans, like they could get lucky and have a safety car fall their way where they could easily just... Uh, trying to re- trying to phrase this where it makes sense, where if they... Basically, if they're not lapped yet, but if they're ahead of their class leader and behind the safety car, they'll easily be able to basically, you know, make up, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds of track. So, so it's a, it's, it's, you know, another, another little permutation. We could see that car, you know, crack a top 10 or even another top five. So there's a lot of cars that could crack a top five, Chris. Oh, that's the thing. Like we we all have these, we could, we could say, oh, 
this car is going to make top five, top ten. But the, the the reality of it is, even if they don't, I mean, there's no shame to them. It's just highly competitive class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's just a, an absolute glut of uh, of uh, you know uh, talent and just pace that we've got in this class. So it is it is wonderful um, that we get to see this uh, take to the the grander stage at the long twenty four hours. It's going to be amazing. Now, Chris. We have skipped all of the cars which have been classified in the LMP2 Pro-Am category so far this podcast. Firstly, what is Pro-Am? Why does it exist? What's going on? All right, so in in regards to the abundance of the amount of Pro entries, uh, the concern was they were pretty much kicking uh, the AMs out, which that was kind of one of the main, that was one of the main things for the class. Those were uh, AM drivers for and, and for the prototype ranks. Um, so basically, what they did is, in order to keep some of those amateurs in, they made up uh, LMP2 Pro Am. So these amateurs who are maybe not like uh, uh, like like Ben Keating godlike, you know, driving ability as an Am or Super Silver, uh, to keep them racing in the championships. Um, so basically, from what I remember. That LMP2 Pro Am, you have to have a bronze in there. I think that's really the only requirement. Yes. Um. Yeah. It was a, a way to sort of celebrate the 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 bronze driver who don't often get a lot of success because their pace is often a lot lower than you know even the regular amateur silvers, let alone the super silvers. Um. But they do support uh, a, a significant portion of the events through just their funding and their, you know, desire to go racing. Um, as, and as a follow-on, Chris, there has only ever been three teams which have a bronze driver that have ever won an ACO rules race. Um, so, and that's, you know, that's across the WEC, that's across the European Le Mans series, that's across the Asian Le Mans series. Um, so it is quite a rare thing for a bronze driver to stand on the top of the podium for LMP2. So that's why they created this class, to sort of give the bronze drivers something to fight for. Um, so all nine cars that are in LMP2 Pro-Am have a bronze driver in their ranks somewhere. And that is the only difference between them and a LMP2 otherwise car. Um, which, you know, the LMP2, all the LMP2 cars are Pro-Am because they all have a silver in it. Um, but only the Pro-Am Pro-Ams have bronze in it. It's just another example, I think, of the ACO making a dumb name for a dumb thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's going to be a little bit harder than if you uh, watch the European Le Mans series where they designated LMP2 Pro-Am into a different color, which was a lighter blue than the L- uh, regular LMP2 compatriot. Um, however, uh, the only way you can decipher that it's a Pro-Am car is that on the bottom of the number plate, there will be a Pro-Am's uh, uh, nameplate. So, and that's it. That's that's all you get. <laughs> pretty much. And I believe the graphics will designate the, the difference as well. Uh, but yeah, pretty much really live timing is going to be your friend here because they'll normally have a P slash A next to the LMP2 card to designate uh, uh, if it's in that subclass. Yeah. So yeah, um, basically if you want to know who's in Pro-Am or, or, or want pictures of the Pro-Am race, you got to be pretty diligent on the, on, on the racing. Yeah. Uh, and especially timing screen. 
Yeah, and you know, there's there's nine cars, so it is a, a true subclass. Nine cars is still uh, certainly enough cars to to make a race. And Pro Am has been a, a sort of a fascinating undercard to some of the to the races in the past. You know, we had that one year where it was a, a real big fight between uh, Dragon Speed and uh, Cool Racing. There was another year where uh, we had, uh, I think it was um, one of the uh, Inter Europol cars up against. Uh, one of the AF Corsa cars, so you know, there's it's very often a, a little bit of a, a a hidden extra story if you're willing to go the extra mile to un- understand and decipher it, which you know I think is is a really really good thing. And if I remember correctly, last year during the ELMS race at Spa, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Racing Team Turkey and AF Corsa uh, battling out to the end, and you know, giving us probably. I think arguably the closest finish in European Le Mans series history uh, yeah. for for my history. So definitely some good racing out of here. Don't just knock it because it's just a subclass and just am- and so and it has more amateur drivers. And if if the, if our talking about it isn't proof enough, we're going to start going through the nine cars. We'll start with the Tower Motorsports car. This has got a bit of a story behind it, which we'll get to in a second. But just look at the driver quality. You've got your bronze driver Stephen Thomas, but you've also got uh, two platinum drivers. Uh, IMSA GTP driver Ricky Taylor and DTM driver Rene Rast, who's raced LMP1 Audis in the past. Like, if you don't believe that the quality is here, just look at that car. It's got Ricky Taylor and Rene Rast in it. <laughs> God damn. And, and there is a solemn note about this car. Yeah, the we're original talking, bronze yeah. driver, uh, John Ferrano, who is uh, the operator owner of Tower Events. Which, if for if I remember, they do uh, they do like grandstand seating, I believe, for the Toronto Grand Prix, uh, the Grand Prix of Toronto for IndyCar, plus I believe stadium seating oh, cool. uh, for the Toronto sports teams in the area. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, there was a uh, incident at uh, IMSA at Laguna Seca that had uh, some health complications. He had to go to a hospital, and he is still currently unable to operate at the uh, to the extent that Lamont needs him to. So fortunately he couldn't make it out, but luckily we have a replacement of Steven Thomas who has and also a amateur IMSA LP2 driver. Uh, so it's not like they put in a complete novice in the car. They at least put someone in as experience with these cars. And like you said, uh, Ricky Taylor, uh, Acura factory driver, then Rene Rast, uh, WR. BMW factory driver for GT3 racing DTM and then McLaren factory driver for Formula E. So, you know, crazy, 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 crazy pace in those cars. Um, Stephen Thomas actually was last year's LMP2 Pro-Am uh, race winner. Uh, so, uh, so at Le Mans. So definitely subbing quite a good driver in for that one. Um, with the quality of the pros, Chris, I wouldn't be surprised that this city, this jump up well into the top 10 overall. Like, uh, if, if they manage to squeeze Stephen Thomas's time out early and get lucky with a safety car or two to bring them back into the field, this could be in the mix. Like, no joke. Yeah, it could be interesting for sure. And I don't think we mentioned this before, but uh, last time I checked, there was the possibility of rain in the forecast. And oh, no. Just, like, I can just pretty much throw everything that we just said, you know, right out the window. Um, but yeah, if they, if they could get that, if Stephen Thomas... Like we said, you know, loses the least amount of time compared to the other bronzes of this class, and just overall any of the other drivers. 
yeah, it could be a very well possibility that this could be one of the sleepers that, you know, maybe like uh, six hours to go in the race, it's somehow competing for a top 10. Yeah, uh, and that would be wonderful. That would be just absolutely, it would tickle me in the most joyous way. Um, we'll move on. Uh, the number 14 uh, LMP2 Pro-Am car is next on the list, and this is Nielsen Racing. Now, these were the Asian Le Mans Series champions, so that's how they earned their entry. Um, this team has been around for European Le Mans Series racing for a long time, mostly in LMP3, but has been a, a ta- uh, taking steps into LMP2. And this livery is absolutely gorgeous. They fork on their normal livery, and they put together a golden tribute to Lamar. And I'm just going to quickly talk about uh, all of the elements on, on this car because every little piece of artwork um, drawn by uh, a, a uh, Mark Morgan, um, a, a British artist, um, has some relevance to the Lamar 24 hours. So on there is the, the old trophy and the new trophy on the front. Uh, driver tableaus of you know the likes of Derek Bell, Henry Pescarolo, Jackie X, Dan Gurney, Steve McQueen in his famous two-fingered salute uh, from the movie Le Mans. Um, Graham Hill's on there. Uh, there's you know pictures of some other the, some race-winning cars, the Porsche 917, the uh, the Ferrari, sorry, the Toyota GR010, the Jaguar D-Type. Um, you know the the Mercedes Benz from 1952. There's names of parts of the circuit written along the wheel arches. It is truly a beautiful machine uh, that truly encapsulates just some of the history of the centenary event at Le Mans. And I, I love that they've gone to this extent to do something just absolutely balls to the wall crazy because uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. If Le Mans wasn't special enough, but it's a centenary, so the teams are going all out with their livery designs this year. And like you said, it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, looking at the spotter's guide, um, doesn't do it enough justice. And I do, I do want to make one correction. This is from the European Le Mans series. Um, one of their uh, invites, because um, Asian Le Mans has two other cars, and we'll get to those later. But yeah, and the, the drivers involved um, are pretty much raced this team before. Ben Hanley, however, uh, if we just go by, based off his recent race, because you know the old adage of uh, you're only as good as your last race, Ben Hanley was a wrecking ball. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the IMSA race at Laguna Seca, but he was in the crowd strike car. Um, it wasn't the crowd he was striking. It was the, it was the other race cars on track. Oh, gosh. Uh, a lot of, uh, ben Keating, he, he bumped up into Ben Keating a couple of times, and a lot of other drivers on Twitter went to, uh, like, went to uh, voice their frustrations over the actions of Ben. So hopefully he gets that uh, attitude fixed up for Lamar because they're definitely at the, 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 the high speeds contacted. Definitely a no-no. Another thing I want to add here is that um, there's a YouTube channel called the Motorsport Mechanic, which is basically ran by a mechanic from the Nielsen Racing Team. And cool. they just uploaded a uh, video two days ago uh, showing a more closer look at the livery for their LMP2. So definitely give that a check. Uh, definitely give that a watch. Oh, I'm definitely I'm gonna do that immediately after we finish this because I'm enamored by it. I wanna I wanna find out every little piece of every little thing that's gone on to that car because it's gorgeous. Um, this car uh, with these driver lineups finished uh, in ninth place in the European Le Mans Series round uh, that opened the season. They were one lap off the lead of the race, um, so they've certainly got some pace there. Matthias Besch, uh, you know, used to race uh, Rebellion LMP1, so you know a bit of quality there. Um, with Salas and Hanley is in support. Um, Salas, I, I, I don't, I don't 
quite believe he's got the same pace as you know some of the other uh, bronze drivers going around. Um, I, I think of the pro am cars, this will probably finish solidly mid pack. That's my read. Yeah, I know. I think I remember Rodrigo Salas in Asian Le Mans. He wasn't exactly setting the world on fire, but yeah, I think uh, compared to what we talked about so far, if we had to make a choice between the two, I think I would go with the, uh, the, t- the tower car. I would also go with the tower car. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, but I'm definitely going to be paying more attention to the Nielsen car because it looks gorgeous. So, <laughs> you know, who's the real winner here? <laughs> right. Um, next up is the number 32 into Europol competition. So this is the sister car to the uh, gr- uh, green and gold car. This is a more white base. Um, so white with green flashes. Um, this has uh, the bronze driver of Mark Kavam from America. And he's joined by Anders Fjordback, uh, who's a great driver out of Denmark. Uh, and Jan Magnussen making his return to sports car racing. Um, father of Kevin uh, and former uh, Corvette uh, factory driver. So uh, interesting little mix of drivers there um what do you rate their chances uh fjordback has been good but not great uh magnuson normally raced in gts and kavam didn't kavam win the lmp2 pro-am category in the asian le mans series for rick Ware racing am i remembering that right yeah but you gotta remember there's only like one car that did that full time. And, uh, semantics he, he's a class winner in the asian le mans series with rick Ware. <laughs> I, I don't say this lightly. He sucks. I, I, <laughs> he, he's bad. I, he, he, like, he, like the really, he only shines in like Porsche career cup North America in the amateur, like am, am class. Anything else. He's just so slow. So I don't see this car making any, any, even though they have Jan Magnuson in the car, I know Ford back is sort of respectable. I don't see this car making any respectable pro, uh, Result. I I think this is just going to be at least when Mark is in the car. Because remember, he has to be in that car for six hours of the race. That that's going to be a moving chicane for six hours of the race. Jesus, that's that's. <laughs> I've never heard you be so unkind yet so true. <laughs> no, there, there's a Don Don Doubt was the other one. I think I might have went went you know. But yeah, uh, Mark Kavan, I don't rate him. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, we'll leave that one well enough alone. We'll just move on. We'll just move on. Uh, next one is the number 37 of Cool Racing. This is the the really cool car. Um, this is the car which has Alexander Cogni as the bronze, um, long-time customer of Cool Racing, which is Nicolas Lapierre's uh, race team. So he's the owner-director, and he is racing with Alexander Cogni, um, and they are joined by Malte Jakobsen uh, as a gold driver. Now... I want to make sure that I've gotten this right. Malta Jakobsen has recently been signed on to Peugeot to be a development driver for them. So he's going to be getting a taste of the LMH machine. Um, uh, and in the meantime, he's racing for Cool Racing and doing a bloody good job of it. Um, so this car, number 37, you know, Kanye is slow but by bronze standards he's actually you know right on pace with the rest of the class this could be a, a shout for uh the pro-am victory i think i think so too i think lmp i think they did uh well from um, from my memory at barcelona uh um this I car think- finished fourth overall and third in pro-am yeah so i th- they definitely have a, a contender i personally think at least for the pro-am class because 
Malta Jacobson, I think he already has hypercar experience. I believe he raced for, not raced, but tested uh, for Peugeot in the test day at Bahrain um, yeah. last year. As a rookie um, test, and then, yep. And Nicola Lapierre, I mean, his results speak for himself. Alexander Cog, he, I mean, he keeps down the road. I don't particularly remember any instance or a pattern of instances where he goes off track or generally um, makes a nuisance for the team. He, he, he's, he's generally pretty good from what I remember on keeping on the black stuff. So yeah, a very strong lineup. I would say uh, Mount Jacobson, uh, when he's in the car, that car is going to be absolutely rapid. And the fact that basically compared to, uh, you know, like, like let, let's say the 32 where they have a silver and bronze, they only have a bronze to deal with for a minimum drive time, which is six hours. So because platinum and gold, from what I remember, do not have a minimum drive time they could be set to. They, but you, you obviously they, want them to be in the car as long as possible. Yeah. I don't believe they have a, they probably have a maximum, but, uh, Actually, no, I don't know where I'm going. Basically, <laughs> they don't have to, quote-unquote, quote be weighted down for 12 hours at a time compared to six. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is a really, really cool mix of experience and youth when it comes to the, the pro drivers or the rated drivers. So you've got Lapierre, who won, I think, he won five times in a row in LMP2 in five starts um, in LMP2. So quite a winning streak there. Um, the only reason he uh, didn't continue that streak was because he moved to his own team um, with a bronze driver in it. Uh, and then Malti Jakobsen, as a 19-year-old, already with hypercar experience, that kid is going to go places. So that car is going to go places, 100%. Absolutely. And next up, that I believe this is the first of the Asian law cars as well. It's the Graf Racing number 39 uh, with Roberto Lacorta, Mr. Chedilar himself. Uh, as you can see with the Chedlar Racing sponsorship on that car. Guido Vandergaard, who if we remember won with uh, United Autosports at Portimao. So he has already had success this year in an LMP2. And Patrick Pile, how about that? Yeah, another another Porsche factory driver finding their way into LMP2. To be fair, Pile's been racing in LMP2 for a little while now with IDEX Sport in the past. Um, this is a really, really fascinating uh, car. So Roberto Lacorta used to race, uh, as you mentioned, with uh, Cetela Velope Corsa um, in the GTM uh, ranks. Um, but taking that car back up to LMP2 with Graf, um, as they were the LMP3 winners in the Asian Le Mans series, which has earned them an LMP2 invite for Le Mans, um, and then pairing them with two incredible platinum drivers, this is this is a, a, a full-on wild card. Who knows what's going to happen here? Yeah, I mean, Guido Vandergaard, he is absolutely ace. I think that, I, I, I especially since his time with the racing team Netherlands, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no one's dead. Don't worry, it's just the team is dead. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Patrick Pile, like you said, uh, I don't think he's contractually with Porsche anymore. But yeah, like you said, he's been racing LMP2s for a while now with Edex Sport. So yeah, and Roberto Lacorta, he's not bad. Uh, he might not be the best of the bronzes if we're going to be comparing and contrasting. But yeah, another case where they only have to do, uh, have to put Roberto with six hours in the car and then Guido and Patrick could take care of the rest. Yeah, like, uh, quite legitimately, if you looked at Tower Motorsports and Cool Racing and Graf Racing, 
those are three cars that could very feasibly be in the mix for overall honors come the end of the race. Like, and, and no one would bat an eye. Yeah, but this is going to be exciting one to watch. I think definitely a contender for Pro-Am. Yeah, um, and that's and that's wonderful to say. Uh, so, uh, and Lacorte as well, he's not a not a bad bronze driver. He took victories in uh, GTM um, while that the Settler team was racing in GTM. So, certainly a, a driver that can... Um, that, that can mix it with the other bronzes in that category. So keep your eye out for graph racing as well. And the car looks gorgeous. Like the dark blue, the two shades of dark blue with the green flashes. Oh, oh beautiful. Love to see it. Um, move on uh, to the number 43 DKR Engineering. Now this is another car. The, this was the um, LMP2 winner from the G- uh, Asian Le Mans series. So that's how they got their entry in. Um, this car is a bit of a kaleidoscope of red and uh, red and yellow on black, uh, which makes sense because despite the uh, the Luxembourg flag of the car, all three drivers are Belgian. So we've got uh, bronze driver Tom Van Rompuy, uh, Gold rated Hugo Duvild and Maxime Martin, uh, former factory BMW driver, uh, anchoring that car, Chris. Yeah, this is a fun one. No, normally, uh, D- the DKR cars have a uh, kind of a ne- Nemo livery, like a clownfish livery. Um, yeah, um, but, they, uh, they've got that in the past, but this one's a bit of a special one, I think. Yeah, it's, I know on the top of uh, the fin there on the side says Racing for Belgium. And on top of every driver being Belgian, so it's it's a nice little uh, car. I th- I think it looks nice. It's basically the Belgian flag on the car. I'd say if we're gonna have to make predictions, I think this might be middle of the road. Maybe well, Maxime Martin is in the car. He does do a good job. I mean, it's really tough. I think this probably might be middle of the road. I wouldn't be surprised if this was like a. Just outside the podium for Pro-Am. Yeah, and I will correct myself. Maxime Martin predominantly raced for Aston Martin, not BMW. So that's my mistake. I apologize for that. All of you getting angry in the comments can calm down now. Um, interestingly, this car in particular has a few uh, few things about it. So uh, Hugo de Wilde and Van Rompuy are Le Mans debutants. So it's their first go out at Le Mans. Um, also, I'm just checking the Daily Sports Car article, their breakdown of LMP2. Apparently... This chassis is one of the oldest LMP2 chassis of this class. Um, this is uh, L- the Orica 07 number five. So the fifth chassis built in 2017, uh, making it five of 110. Uh, so it's had quite a long life already, has this car. Uh, I believe uh, this is a car that they purchased from Graf. So that's likely that it's won races in the European Le Mans series and got crashed into the barriers hard in late in one of the Le Mans races. So it's it's had quite a life. So to see it still kicking on is yeah, pretty cool. I, I, I really find it interesting, the sort of journeys that the chassis have been on, the cars have been on, as well as some of the drivers and teams. Yeah, and... I know it's not sports car racing, but you see that in uh, NASCAR trucks. I mean, you see, uh, you hear stories some weekends where like, oh yeah, this chassis was from 2001 and it's still kicking today. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, uh, and, and, that, and that's the beauty of it. I mean, just because the chassis is old in some of these categories doesn't mean that it automatically knocks them out of the raceway contention. It's, it's nice to see that the longevity um, of, of, the, of these chassis uh, still uh, stands today. Absolutely. 
next on the list is number 45, the Algarve Pro Racing car. Now, this car had a bit of trouble at the test day. This car was uh, in the gravel uh, early on. It was uh, brought out, I think, the first red flag of the test day. So, well done, Algarve. Um, so, that's, that's a little special boon that they can have. Um, this car has uh, American George Kurtz as the bronze driver, as well as uh, James Allen from Australia, quite a rapid driver, and Colin Brown from America, quite a rapid driver. Chris, uh, I, I'm not too familiar with Kurtz. Um, let, uh, what are your what's your read on his participation at Lamar? Uh, where would we know him from? So George Kurtz is the money man behind CrowdStrike. Um, he runs in GT World Challenge America uh, with the Mercedes. Uh, won some races. I don't know if it was overall most likely the Pro-Am class. Uh, Kurtz isn't bad. Um, he definitely has prototype experience. Maybe not at this level, but he has raced at with... Uh, Radicals at the 25 hours of Thunderhill. Um, <laughs> what a cool event. Yeah, and also does the IMSA LMP2 category with uh, CrowdStrike Racing and with Algarve Pro also building that effort. I, I don't think this is too bad of a car. George Kurtz, um, I, I want to see more of him, but I don't think he's too bad right now. But then you got James Allen, who is very good. And Colin Braun, who is very good. Um, I mean, what was well? I think one of the reasons. I mean, Colin wasn't Colin Braun uh, one of the people involved with? Uh, I can't remember the team name, but it was one of the LMP3 teams that shut down Core um, Autosports. Over, yeah, it's Core Autosport, and yeah. basically, like Colin and Colin Braun is such a standout guy. I think he made sure everyone was taken care of because he was. Uh, he was moving up. Uh, he got that hypercar uh, GTP drive with Acura uh, for at least uh, 24 hours of Daytona. And I believe, I can't remember the exact story, but pretty much he made sure, or someone made sure that everyone was okay in the end from that team shutting down, or Core Autosport made sure that Colin had a drive uh, before shutting that team down. So, definitely standout guy, and versatile as well. I mean, he, also, he even won a NASCAR uh, Craftsman Truck Series race. Oh, cool. um, on an oval, um, <laughs> um, and also great wins races in GT3s and GT World Challenge. So very, very standout guy, very impressive driver. I think this could be. A, I think this, this on paper this should be a contender for the win. I know there's plat, pure platinums, but I I strongly rate. If George Kurtz doesn't mess it up on his six hour drive time, I think that this could be one of the contenders we see at the front. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a an interesting mix here because you'd think with two gold drivers that they'd be at a disadvantage, but you know, with the caliber of Colin Brown, who basically carried John Bennett to a almost uh, like a very unlikely almost uh, IMSA championship win in 2017 uh, with the Core Rotor Sports car. And if you didn't follow IMSA in 2017, boy, did you miss out because that season was incredible. Um, yeah, Colin Braun all, like, almost carried a bronze driver to a championship there. Um, and then James Allen as well, who has uh, raced in the past and done very well with graph racing, at one point bullied the likes of Felipe Albuquerque off the circuit at Le Mans, which was just amazing. Um, so these, these drivers have some pedigree, have some fight in them. Um, and you know, if, if Kurtz is able to keep it together, they could be in with a shot. I, I don't think they have the consistency to really take it to the likes of cool racing and, you know, tower events and those sort of things. But you know, you know, we shall see, we shall see, we shall see. We have Chris 
only two more cars on the entry list. How how quickly has that gone? Um, and two of these are not just p- potential Pro-Am winners, Chris, they're potential LMP2 winners. Uh, we'll start with the number 80 AF Corsa car. This car has Francois Perotto behind the wheel as the bronze, joined by Ben Barnacote and Norman Nato. Like, again, a pair of gold drivers, but they you couldn't absolutely believe that these two are bronze, uh, are gold drivers, rather, because both of them deserve to be platinums. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, this car. And uh, livery change from last year as well. So basically, it's, it's the same livery, but instead of the chrome... Um, it's basically just a, a white car now, uh, with the base the same livery as last year. So basically, they replaced the chrome with a white. Uh, I think it still looks good. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Look, hopefully, they can uh, more so Perotto. Hopefully, they can shake the demons from last year um, because they were so basically uh, Perotto was driving the car, and I believe he was going. There's a on the Mosan straight. There's a Corvette on the inside and another LMP2 on the outside. Uh, and then he found a, I believe he found a spot in the middle that, because when you're racing, you're trying to you know, minimize the lost time that you have on traffic. So he found, he saw an opening. He figured he could get past the GT car quick. Uh, unfortunately, the LMP2 that was beside him at the time believe I from what I remember hit a bump and the car went a little out of control um make, making it leaning towards the AF Corsa car in response um Perotto saw this and tried to avoid this but unfortunately uh there's just not no not much space left um and hit the Corvette and caused that accident that you know had some controversy which and, it really should have had any controversy last year angered a lot of Americans very quickly yeah, um, surprising because that was like what two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning American time. Anyway, um, yeah, hopefully once again they'll shake those demons from the past. I I think Perotto should. I mean, he's he's a decent driver. I mean, you don't. I mean, I mean, if you don't win, you're not a good. What I'm trying to say is he won the WBC championship in multiple in GTE and multiple times. Yeah. So he wasn't a bad driver. Yeah. Uh, ben Bartikot. LMP2 experience with the Asian Le Mans series. Wasn't he part of the uh, 98 racing team that was this year? No, it wasn't him. Um, I think that was... It might have, he he might might have been, been the other car. He might, I thought maybe he might have been slated to drive, but not... And then and then pulled out. It was either him or Harry Tinknell. Um, and both of those drove together in a Dallara uh, of quite a few years ago um, because I got to interview both of them at the Bend once. That was quite nice. Um, but Barnico is... Extremely eloquent, very fast behind the wheel, and quite a good driver. Quite a good driver. Norm Nato, American bias here, but I, when I whenever I first heard him, I, it's weird because he used to race in Indy Lights. Okay, and that's where I, that's where I remember him from. And obviously, he outgrew that. He went into sports car racing, and has been pretty decent ever since. So. Yeah, definitely. So a good caliber of drivers here for a prime category. See, my founding memory of Norman Nato is when uh, Real Team Racing debuted at Paul Ricard for their first race in the European Le Mans series and won off the back of Norman Nato. So I like he's kind of been lodged in my head as a driver that's been extremely quick and someone to keep an eye on always because he is just that fast. So, you know, you've got here... A, a, a super extre- experienced Bonds driver who's raced in everything and won in a lot of things, um, uh, and a pair of out and out 
you know, honey badgers in gold drivers. So, Chris, I, I think, again, this car could, you know, ruffle a few feathers overall. This car finished, I think, third overall in the uh, opening round of the European Le Mans series um, with Vaxavier instead of Norman Nato. But still, like, Barnacote, Perotto, Norman Nato, that, that, that should be a combination that could deliver an overall result. But absolutely, it's just going to come down to, uh, like I said earlier, uh, where do you put in Perotto's bronze drive time, and uh, how how does the weather play in effect? Because that as as we go on into the week, because it's Tuesday, as if we're recording this, uh, we got some forecasts that say it's going to rain on Saturday. So interest interesting to say the least. We might not know. We might not know anything. Yeah, well, I mean, clearly we don't know anything, Chris. Let's not beat around the bush here. Um, last car on the entry list. Now, this is a bit of a special car. It is Racing Team Turkey, the number 923, featuring Turkish driver, bronze driver, Sally Yolok, um, a former class winner in GTEM, Sally Yolok, at this race. So, a very uh, comes in with a bit of pedigree, um, and he's driving with Tom Gamble and Dries Vantor. Now, the reason that I say that this is a very special car is, Chris... This car won the opening round of the European Le Mans series as a pro-am car. So despite a different driver lineup, they had Charlie Eastwood and Louis Delatraz at the time. You know, you could sub them out for Tom Gamble and Dries Vantor. And it's still a car that, in my opinion, is capable of winning overall. If they were able to do it at Barcelona, I don't see any reason why they can't do it at Le Mans. Um, Who needs pro-am when you can just beat the whole P2 field anyway? Yeah, I mean, if Sally Lo- uh, Yulik can just basically just uh, keep the car and all, um, keep the car on, on on the black stuff and all four wheels on the pavement, um, it, it shows that it can be done. Uh, although the two of the cars is, are two of the drivers from that ELMS did are with some uh, other other teams yeah. in this race. Um, but yeah, the reason and and I want I just want to say this: the ELMS run was absolutely impressive because. In the final hour, they got pinged as a penalty because I believe they had some bodywork hanging off the car after their final pit stop. So they had to come in again, and they lost a lead. I can't remember who was that in second place. Flood, you you it was, you would. Remember. It was Duquesne, so that that was ahead That's of Mujani right. at the time. And so they were behind. They they, they were behind the Duquesne car, and I believe Eastwood or no, it was Delatraz, wasn't it, in the car? Yeah. For the final stint, and then it's caught up at a rapid pace and. It took it took the win anyway as a big middle finger to the stewards. Um, uh, so yeah, Tom Gamble, Dries Vantor is in this car along with Sally Yulik. Tom Gamble, I believe I remember seeing him in Aston Martins. Would that be correct? Um, I will just quickly check, but my reckoning is that he's raced in um, Aston Martins for D Station Racing in the Asian Le Mans series um, in the past. Um, but my memory of him is racing more so for Europe, uh, for United Auto Sports. No, that, that that's fair enough. Yeah, in 2021 and 2022. So um, no longer with United Auto Sports, um, but still clearly with fair, uh, quite, quite a fair bit of pace. And uh, Dries Fantor, this is kind of a really shocked because from what I'm seeing here, there's not really any affiliation because Dries Fantor is a BMW factory driver pretty much. Yeah. Um, this is literally just a fun day out for him. Uh, he's not contractually obligated by BMW to do this. There's no, as far as I'm aware, any BMW links because um, this car is operated by TF Sport, which runs Athens and GTs. So, yeah. 
Dries was having a little bit of fun. To be fair, though, if you were, say, Sally Yorlock, and someone said, uh, if Dries Van Tor said to you, hey, uh, do you need a third driver? I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd take that in an instant. He can crash, he, he can crash into his brother Lawrence again. It'll be fine. Don't, <laughs> don't let that happen, please. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. Anything's possible at Lamar, Vlad. Did you probably shrink it? This, oh my god. So for those who don't know, um, a few years ago when Lawrence was racing in uh, Porsche and Dries was racing in uh, Audi, they actually made contact and crashed into each other at the 24 hours of Nürburgring. And it caused quite a kerfuffle um, uh, because, you know, while they are very uh, deep competitors and very hard competitors, uh, they do respect each other quite a lot and they have a, quite a a fun but very supportive brotherly relationship. So um, it was, uh, yeah, not something that you generally wanted to see uh, and hopefully uh, doesn't happen again. Um, Chris, could this car win overall? Uh, not overall. Uh, Param, I think, uh, has a chance to. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll leave that there then. So that is the 24 cars that make up the LMP2 grid. Um, 24 cars is quite a lot. 24 cars is basically a full F1 grid. And I think there's actually more drivers with F1 experience in this 24, in these 24 cars than there is on the current F1 grid. Um, it's just how stacked this driver lineup is and the quality of the teams and the cars and the drivers. Um, so Chris, I'm going to ask you for some predictions. What I want from you is I want the top three uh, LMP2 cars and then the top Pro-Am car. And then I'm going to ask you another question after that. While you think about that, I'll do just some little admin stuff. So, um, of course, uh, this is the second part, but also the third part of our driver lineup uh, podcast. Um, If you haven't listened to our Hypercar podcast and our GTM podcast, make sure you have a look at that. All of these, of course, are stuff that we do for fun because we want to keep everyone informed. You can use these to make your picks for the MW Clarkson Fantasy Endurance Competition, um, and you can win a little prize if you uh, pick the best uh, best combination uh, with the available budget. So thank you for M- to MW Clarkson for running that once again. Um, so you can find that uh, e- through uh, typing in either Fantasy Endurance or MW Clarkson um, fantasy endurance into your Google machine or find it on the subreddit. Um, of course, all of the stuff will be happening on the subreddit and in the discord. Um, there's our big info post, which has got everything going on. There's, uh, all the channels being set up in the discord right now. Uh, all your FAQs, your resource guides, um, stuff like the spotters guide, stuff like the entry list, that'll all be up there. So if you jump in on the subreddit and in the discord, you'll have everything that you need to keep your Le Mans series, uh, your Le Mans week ticking over. Um, uh, we are recording this the day before track action, but it probably won't go live until track action hits on Wednesday. Um, so if uh, this has gone up before then, uh, awesome. If not, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, life happens. Um, but yeah, this has been uh, a quite an undertaking uh, to do these 60 cars, 62 cars over the course of the, the, the weekend prior. So I hope you've enjoyed. Um, and with that in mind, Chris, do are you ready for your predictions? Uh, I, I think I am. I think, think I'm going to go... So I asked you I, for the top three in LMP2. Who have you gone as the top three cars in LMP2? I am gonna pick the twenty-three. The United Autosports, Josh Pearson, Tom Blomquist, and Oliver Jarvis. I'm gonna go with the forty-one. Forty-one. The team WRT: Rui Andrade, Louis Delatras, and Robert Kubica. Oh, uh, my, I mean, 30, 31. Thirty-one. Thirty-one. Okay, so that's the Sean Gallal, Ferdy Hatsberg, Robin Fryan's car. 
And I think United are going to double it. I think they'll have a double podium. I'm going to go 22. Philip Hansen, Felipe Albuquerque, and Frederick Lubin. So you basically tried to pick two United cars and two WRT cars for three spots. Well done. Yeah, but yeah, I bet the 31 stuff. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you off the hook. I'll let you off the hook. Um, now, uh, what about Pro Am? Who's going to be your top runner in Pro Am? Ooh, so this one, uh, this one's a little bit tricky. So I'm trying to figure out in my head which, in terms of, you know, on, on the bronzes they have, which one's going to cost them the least amount of time when they're in the car and then trying to compare that with the pros that they have it's tougher than it looks um i i know the tower cars very uh is, is, is strong i don't know if i rate stephen thomas that highly where there's other bronzes that are possibly uh better than him even even with the two platinums in the car that could make up a, a deficit of that um i it's tough. I think I'm going to go with, uh, if I'm going to be straight up honest here, I think I'm going to go with the AF Corsa car. The AF Corsa? That's the number 80 Francois Perotto Ben Barnico Norman Nato car. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, it's tough. It's, I mean, it's really hard, isn't it? I was just thinking through it myself. There's no one that really stands out. And, and the fact that, like, you, you never know because people get lucky. I mean, the safety car could come out at a very opportune time. Um, the, the full course yellows or the slow zones could come your way. It can really, because luck, I mean, there's an old saying is like, sometimes uh, you would rather be good than lucky, but you'll always take being lucky, you know, but yeah, it, it's tough, especially if I believe LMP2 pro, I am at least, uh, cause you said, what well, we had like nine cars here yeah, and like nine cars. at least, at least half of them are very, very good contenders. It's very tough, but I think AF Corsa, um, just based on history uh, and the, the drivers they have, I think they have a good shot. That That's fair. I would put AF Corsa in my top three in, in Pro-Am, um, but I would personally go the 37 for me, the cool racing Nicola Lapierre, Malta Jakobsen, and Alexandra Konyika. That would be my pick for Pro-Am. Um, but it's also close. Like you could pick Racing Team Turkey, you could pick Graf, you could pick Tower Motorsports. It's 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 a a, 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 a absolute glut of a decision you could have there. For me, for the LMP2 class overall, I probably have to say the 31 Team WRT car would be my my first pick, Galeo Habsburg and Freins. Um Then I'd go the Prema Racing Number 63, uh, Mirko Bortolotti, Daniel Kvyat, and Dorian Pan. Um, and then it gets very difficult because <laughs> you could go with the Duquesne car that finished first asterisk at the European Le Mans series race, or you could go one of the United Auto Sports cars, or you could go the other WIT car, or, you know, there's so many permutations that you, you who, who really knows what's going to happen? Um, okay. My final question for you, Chris, how many Pro-Am cars will be in the top 10 of LMP2? Oh, God. <laughs> so there's nine I, Pro-Am cars in a 24-car field. Um, so that means, you know, if the Pro-Am cars finish, you know, 24th all the way up to 15th, um, that'll be the bottom of the class. How many of them break through into the top 10? Uh, how many How many Pro-Am cars we got? Nine? We got nine. You know, you know uh, just to, to quote... Uh, quote uh, 
a famous verbiage that the youth are using. I'm going to stunt on these hoes. I'm going to use random number generator. <laughs> yeah, fair. All right. Uh, the gods say six. Six. Six LMP2 Pro Am cars in the top ten. Gosh. So that, what you're saying then is basically you've got the two United Auto Sports cars and the two WRT cars, and then the rest of them are going to be Pro Am cars. Uh, inshallah. Oh, well, <laughs> hey, that's 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 what you said. That's what you said. You said the top three would be the two WRTs. And two, that, these are the words that have come out of your mouth. Um, I'm not going to be quite as bold. Um, I'm going to say three. I'm going to say three cars, three pro AM cars in the top ten. That's that's probably a more fair. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I reckon one of them will be a cool racing car. One of them will be either the Tower Events or the Graph car, and then one of them will be the AF Corsa car or the Team Turkey car. I reckon they will crack it in, uh, and then. You know, because cause someone's going to have an issue, right? Like, you know, last year it was WRT that all crashed together in the first corner. The year before that, it was United that all crashed together. Someone's going to mess it up. So that leaves some room for someone to jump in, I think. Yeah, I mean, even if they... Like, I know LMP2 doesn't have, you know, reliability issues, so to speak. It's quite rare to see, like, an engine go or a car just simply just slow down. But yeah, there's going to be a- incidents accidents and yeah um and just just yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how that pans out yeah it's 24 cars chris 24 cars across 24 hours what a wonderful way to uh to 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 have le mans 24 go for the lmp2 class and if this is the swan song for lmp2 and the wec and we do only get to see these cars at le mans uh racing against the product other hyper cars and the gt cars um you're gonna say lmp2 has been a absolute barrel of action over the the course that's been a part of the WC. If if the rumors are true and this class is going to get moved on from the WEC and be the top class of the European Le Mans series, I will be well sad to hear that. I mean, the good news is that's it's not the only. It's just because it's being removed of the WEC doesn't mean that because um, we still have IMSA. Yeah, IMSA just renewed their contract. Uh, to use LMP2, uh, was it 2027? So, uh, something along those lines. It, it was it, it extended for a couple more years. Um, and so we'll get to see uh, LMP2s with the grid of hypercars or GTP, whatever nomenclature you yeah. uh, feel free to use. And so, yes, yeah, just because it's not in the WEC doesn't mean uh, we still get to see him in Asian Law, uh, ELMS, and who knows, maybe maybe something in the future could, uh, maybe something different. Um, who knows? Yeah, and. Yeah, it, don't don't sleep on this class either. Like, make sure if you're listening to this podcast, you pick a car out of any of these that you want to follow for some reason, and you follow it. Because uh, let me tell you, LMP2 should not be forgotten. Just because just because Hypercar is back now, we've got 16 cars, and you know that's all very exciting. And I'm you know absolutely wetting myself by. Don't forget about LMP2 because it's going to be amazing. Um, Chris, thank you very much for jumping in and doing this podcast with us uh, very early in the morning for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a nice sunny day here in the North Woods of Michigan. I'll go ahead and enjoy it before I have to go into work uh, later on this evening and uh, probably not sleep after that because the track action is tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's come along quick, hasn't it? Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate you jumping in at the, the very last minute to, to get this done. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Make sure that you jump into the Discord, jump on the subreddit, Grab your, uh, your Mateus Groziak Spotters Guide. Go to spotters.guide to pick that one up. It's very, very well done, um, and it really will enhance your understanding of the race. Make sure you jump in on the race threads. 
and watch all the support category action and watch Hyperpole and just enjoy the celebration of the centenary of Lamar because we've been waiting for this one for what feels like a long time and now that we're finally here I, it's it's amazing to be it's amazing to be here uh, so thank you very much for listening we do appreciate it all the time I've been Michael Zalavari peace out Oh, boy. Okay, I am done. I never want to speak again. You'll never hear me talk forever. Goodbye.